So let's turn to the God of angel armies in prayer. Heavenly Father, as you seek to give us life through your word, we pray that we would be willing, ready, with eager hearts to receive and to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Please uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. And if you do not bring a Bible, find one in the, the seats in front of you or around you. You can turn to your electronic device as well. And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, please see me after the worship service because I would love to give you one. 1 Kings 18, starting with verse 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. When Jezebel was killing off the the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so we will not have to kill any of our animals. And so they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him, and Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. Oh, what have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were there, you were, claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here, and I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord? What I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord, I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go kill my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, and he told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah, and when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Oh, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah 
went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one, of, one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the, Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Now call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is in deep a thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of flour of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their backs, their heart back, their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell upon the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Now, this is one of the great stories in the Bible. It's a, like, it's a fan favorite of 
It is uh, full of, of tension. If you just imagine the one Elijah against the 450 prophets of Baal, and if you include the 400 prophets of Asherah, one against 850. And um, they're all doing their thing around the, the altar, and, and Elijah's mocking them. And there's a lot of great action, great comedy um, in, this, in this story. And we are starting a, uh, this short series of sermons on prayer, and I thought, well, this is a great story of prayer. It's a story of having your back against the wall, one against 850. It's, it's an action thriller. But when we look at it for a minute or so, we realize that um, even though there are many people uh, in this story and they're, they're doing you know, a, lot of, um, a lot of really entertaining actions around the altar, um, the story really is about the action of God and what God does and that God answers our prayers. See, one of the most important messages from the story is God hears our prayers. Christianity is unique from all the other world religions in that it says that we have a God that that is close to us, that we can be in relationship with, that we can that we can pray to and talk to, that we can talk to God and he'll listen. He can talk to us and we can listen. Very personal God that we have that listens to us. God is not far off. And Christianity says you don't have to do a bunch of goofy things to talk to God in prayer. And this story, when we think about prayer, is inspiring. God invites Elijah into this moment. To pray, did you did you hear that response from Elijah as he prayed? He said, "God, let them know that I am doing this out of obedience to your word, to your command." So Elijah wasn't making this up himself. God invited him into this moment of prayer, and I think when we read the story, listen to the story. We can be enthusiastic about prayer. God, in, this is a big prayer moment. God invited Elijah to pray big, and God answered big. And so this story may rightfully encourage us to pray for big things. And at the same time, the story can seem just a little out of reach because it's so fantastic. I mean, praying to God and fire coming down out of heaven, that's not everyday stuff. Fire coming down from heaven, not everyday stuff. And that's why I wanted to read this story from the beginning of the chapter and include this um, maybe less remembered portion of the story about Elijah and the prophet Obadiah and their encounter. Both prophets undoubtedly are concerned for the nation of Israel. They had seen how the Israelites had fallen into idolatry. And certainly they had both cried out to God for the Israelite people. You heard that from Elijah in his prayer. God, answer me. May the people know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts 
back to you. So that's Elijah's prayer. But Obadiah certainly was praying that as well as a faithful prophet of God. And with Elijah, God's answer is, well, Elijah, we are going to put on for the people a great spectacle today, a day that people remember for the rest of their lives. With Obadiah, God's answer is a little bit different. Obadiah, I want you to work in the background here. You are going to do something no less important, but maybe less memorable. Obadiah, you're going to protect some of my prophets by giving them a safe space, by providing them some lunch, some dinner, some meals, some water. Obadiah, you might be in the background, no less important, maybe less memorable. And I think that Obadiah's story teaches us something really important about prayer, especially as we, as we seek to be really active in our prayer life. God can answer prayer dramatically, but also through everyday actions. And I think sometimes when we, we pray to God and we feel like Elijah and we have our backs up against the wall and we're surrounded by whatever our enemies are, people or events, feel like we have our backs up against the wall and we're expecting God to to step in dramatically. That's what we're hoping for. Sometimes we want to confine God to, to working in these extravagant means or miraculous experiences. And then if there's not some amazing experience of supernatural presence, then God somehow isn't there, that God didn't show up. But God seems quite comfortable working through everyday actions like he did with Obadiah. Things that we might not immediately notice or think of or hear, obviously, as God at at work. Um, Sometimes God is subtle. And in the very next chapter, we see this. Elijah, here in chapter 18, has this this moment of uh, just unmistakable display of God's, of God's power. The very next chapter, he has this moment of great discouragement, Elijah does. Isn't that interesting? And, and he runs off and he hides. He runs off to uh, Mount Horeb, which is known as the mountain of God. And Elijah is discouraged and wants to seek God. He's going to seek God's presence. He, he wants to be revived in his his hope and in his encouragement. He wants to have a a mountaintop experience. He gets to the top of Mount Horeb, and he he cries out to God, saying that he's all alone. And the story says that while he's up on the mountain, along comes a wind. Not just any wind, but a wind that tears apart the mountain, that shakes the rocks of the mountain, I mean, this is a mountain-moving, hurricane-force wind. It's a mighty rushing wind. Surely God is in the wind. No, God, the story says, God doesn't appear in the wind. Next, there's an earthquake. So the, the mountain is shaken by the wind, and then it's shaken by an earthquake. But God doesn't appear in the earthquake. It's not like, whoa, this, oh, this must be God. No, God's not in the earthquake. And finally, fire comes to the mountain. And we know how much God loves fire. Elijah must be thinking, here is God. 
the story is clear. God is not in the fire. These miraculous-seeming moments, God's not in them. Do you remember how God appears to Elijah when he's hiding up in the mountain? Yeah, just the small little whisper. The small, subtle whisper of God. Sometimes God is subtle. Now, what is God doing? Well, one thing he is pointing out, I'm not always going to reveal myself through some otherworldly, miraculous experience. He might, but not always. I'm also going to show up in ways where if you are not paying attention, paying attention, you might miss me. Sometimes I'm going to appear in a gentle whisper. And maybe God knows if, if he were to appear to us always in these sensory overload experiences like, <laughs> like hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunamis and fire, uh, we would be too scared to get out of bed in the morning. Like, what's going to happen next, God? You gonna, is my house going to catch on fire? It, God may realize that uh, we really don't need him to appear in these miraculous ways all the time. But rather, he needs to come to us in subtle ways. Sometimes um, he'll set just everyday events in motion, one connected to the other, but you look at just one of those events and you wouldn't think, oh, here clearly is God at work, but as these events are connected together that God sets in motion, in the end we say, oh, God, now I see you. Now I see you. So sometimes God answers our prayers through everyday action. But, but to show that he is not limited to everyday common actions, we do have this next story. The showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. So let's read again how Elijah sets this up. He, he says to the crowd of Israelites that gathered, look at verse 21. Elijah says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. I want you to notice two things. One, the name that he used for Lord in that verse is Yahweh. This very unique name that God gave to the Israelites themselves. This very personal name for God that God says to the Israelites, this is how you shall call me. This is who I am. If Yahweh is God, Elijah says, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And two, Elijah doesn't say, okay, let's see whose God is more powerful, as if there could be many different outcomes to this story, like, Yahweh perhaps sending a really big fire and Baal sending a, you know, a smaller fire or vice versa. No, Elijah talks about the story in black and white. There's only one God and let's see who it is. It's Yahweh or Baal. Can't be both. No, both, not both gods. And the Israelites, when, when, when Elijah sets up this encounter, they are completely silent. They don't say a word. And it could be that they, they thought, it never occurred to me that there could just be one God. It never occurred to us that we had to choose just one. 
Because we like multiple options. We like having several to choose from depending on the circumstances. We like diversifying our portfolio. And these, these people, these Israelites, they are completely lost. Somehow their religious views over the, over the centuries went from Yahweh alone to Yahweh and Baal. So Elijah sketched out the game plan. We're going to prepare an altar and a sacrifice. No cheating by lighting the wood yourself. We're going to call out to our God. You call out to your God, Baal. I'll call out to my God, Yahweh. And the God who answers, he is God. That's the key test. The God who answers. That's the test. No answer means no God. And the prophets of Baal go first. And they call on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Now, Baal was known by the Canaanite people as the weather god, the storm god. So now this drought makes a little more sense. They're in a a three-year drought. The prophets of Baal are calling out to, the, to Baal, who is known as the storm god. You can imagine how helpless you would feel in the ancient world if there was such a severe drought like this. Baal worship was an attempt to persuade Baal to send rain for your crops. And you had several means at your disposal to pray to Baal. You could, you could shout like the prophets did. You could Dance around like the prophets did. You could slash yourself until you bleed, just like the prophets did. You could find yourself a prostitute of Asherah, a fertility goddess, and engage with her. Another means at your disposal to get Baal to send rain or dew. And so you could see how popular Baal worship would be to such an agrarian society. No rain? Okay, Baal's your guy. Go impress him. Do what it takes to impress him and he'll fix your problem. The problem for these prophets is from morning until noon, they cried out to Baal in numerous ways. But there was no answer. And then after about three hours, it makes you wonder what Elijah was doing for three hours while the prophets were doing their dancing and shouting. But around noon, Elijah starts having some fun with the prophets. Oh, you need to shout a little louder. Maybe Baal's taking a break. Maybe he's gone off a distance, and you need to shout louder so he'll hear you. Or maybe he's just using the restroom, taking a trip. You never know. Keep at it, though. And they kept at it all throughout the afternoon. And even into the evening, Uh, How would you grade the prophets of Baal? Well, all day without prayer, that's not looking too good. But we certainly might give them an A for effort. I mean, they were really going at it. They are not giving up. They're not sitting down and taking a nap. They're giving it their all. They obviously have taken advanced graduate courses in prayer technique. They have mastered volume. They've mastered repetition. They've mastered liturgical dance. But there's no answer. There's there's not even a little smoke. There's there's not even a little ember, a glowing ember that would 
Maybe you encourage them. There's just nothing. Verse 29 drives us home. Look at verse 29. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. See, one of the points of the story is that Baal, it's not that Baal is even an inferior god. One of the points is that Baal is no god at all. So look at what happens next. When, when, When they were all worn out, or maybe when Elijah was worn out by looking at them all day long, he said, everyone, everyone, come in, come in, come in, come in. Now, just as an aside, I'm wondering if you've ever related at least a bit to the prophets of Baal, where you've just been worn out by prayer because you've been going at it all day long. And you've smacked, you know, kind of the, the figurative smacking yourself. You've you felt, gosh, I must be lousy at this. God is not hearing my prayers. I just, I am a lousy prayer. If you are saying that of yourself, um, you are thinking the wrong way about prayer because the prophets tried about everything and there was no answer. And then it's Elijah's turn. And let's pay a close attention to what Elijah does with this prayer. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. And with these stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. See, first, he rebuilds the altar that was constructed um, for for the, the first offering attempt. Um, and, and somehow the prophets of Baal and all their goings-on maybe demolished it or deconstructed it somehow. So Elijah rebuilt it. He takes 12 stones. What, what is this representative of? Yeah, this is representative of the, the 12 stones that the Israelites set up when they first crossed into the Promised Land after crossing over the Jordan River. And they, they set up this monument as a symbol of God's enduring faithfulness to his people? Why why, why do you think that Elijah does this? See, he's pointing out something about the very foundations of prayer. It's this. Prayer has a simple foundation. It's just the faithfulness of God. We can pray because of one reason, because God is faithful. He places the offering on top, and then he he prays, what, two sentences? Let's look. Uh, Verses 36 and 37. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant And have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And that you are turning 
their hearts back again. Two sentences. How long did that take for me to read that? Maybe 10 seconds, maybe 15 for Elijah to, to pray that. And there was no dancing, no shouting, no slashing. The way that this story presents it, Elijah spoke a simple prayer with, with, no, <laughs> with no grandeur, no, no grandstanding, certainly. And then God answers his prayer. See, prayer is not about technique or eloquence or using certain religious vocabulary, which is a good thing because you may think, you know, if you were to grade my effort on prayer, you wouldn't give me an A. I mean, you'd give me maybe a C, a D on some days, and that's not just for you. It's for me too. I'm sitting around the dinner table praying with my family, praying for the meal. Your pastor does not give high marks if you were to slip into my kitchen. I might put my family to sleep. Um, You wouldn't give me an A. And that's okay. Because God answers our prayers, not because of what we say or how we say it, but simply because of his faithfulness. And he will answer. Because what is this whole showdown about? See, sometimes we need to take a, take a step back from the story, look at the whole story together, get the big picture, the wide-angle lens. What is this story about? to show who is the only one that Israel can place their trust in. And it's not Baal sending the rain. It's God who sends the rain. It is God who is the only one who has any real control over the future of the Israelites. So why prayer? Or why pray? Prayer focuses us on the one, the one who alone can save. Prayer focuses us on God and our ultimate dependence upon God. Prayer removes the illusion that we can be independent in our life. Because let me ask you, can you make it rain? You can't. I I can't. Neither can I. Prayer helps us acknowledge that God gives to us the things that we normally take for granted. Rain, air to breathe. The Bible says that it is the Lord that gives breath to all living things. Income. Now, wait a minute. I thought we worked for that. I, mean, I worked pretty hard for my last paycheck, and I bet you worked harder for your last paycheck than I worked for mine. Not even that. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18 says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. See, it all comes from God. How exhaustively do we depend on the Lord? Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 says, The Lord... Lord Jesus Christ says, He is before all things. And in Him, 
All things hold together. The Lord has the earth in his hands. He's holding it together. And if he were to let go, everything comes apart. No matter how great a performance we're putting on on here. If God lets go, it all, it all comes apart. So let me give you two words to think of when you think of prayer. Desperate confidence. Desperate confidence. We are desperate before God because we are completely dependent on his goodness. If God stops acting, it's not that, it's not that we will lack a little. If God stops acting, it won't rain. If God stops acting, the crops won't grow. If God stops acting, the world won't spin. If God stops acting, the sun won't shine. If God stops acting, we won't breathe. We're desperate. We're desperate for God. But we are confident as well. See, prayer brings our desperation and our confidence together. We can know that God answers Because that is who God identifies himself as in this key story. He is the God who answers us when we call. So you can be confident when you pray. That God is not saying, hey, I'll get back with you later. I'm taking a time out. Let me call you back. God answers us when we pray. He hears and he answers So let me suggest what this allows you to do. When you pray, you can let go of the vice grip that you have on your life. You don't have to feel like you have to hold it all together. And when I was thinking about this, I I remembered several occasions um, when we lived in Illinois and we'd drive back to Texas um, to to see family. And we would occasionally go see my dad and stepmom. They live in Georgetown, uh, just north of Austin along I-35. And we would come down one of two ways, but ultimately we would wind up going through Dallas and then um, take I-35 south. And at the time, it's probably still like this, quite honestly. At the time, there was about a 10-mile stretch. Once you got past Waco on your way to Georgetown, where there was heavy road construction, and they took two lanes on either side, and they made them narrower, and then they took both um, shoulders, and they removed them, and they put concrete barriers on either side. And, I'm, and it was usually late at night when we're getting to this stretch. And I'm tired. And there, there must have been some kind of direct proportion of the, the time of day and the number of 18-wheelers on the road. The later it got, the more 18-wheelers that were on the road. So we hit this stretch. I'm wiped out. There's nowhere to go. And I've got this this death grip on the wheel. And I'm thinking, if I let my guard down, we're all going to die. I mean, it's just, it's just plain and simple like that. We call that section Pinball Alley because it was like, I mean, I got 18 wheelers, I got concrete barriers, which am I going to hit? I'm going to hit everything. Unless I oh, keep so focused. And it's on the wheel like this. 
And we get to my dad's, and I would just be absolutely worn out. And the thing is, without prayer, we, we can feel the same way about life. And you can think, I've got to keep it all together. I've got to keep this gorilla grip on this wheel. I've got to stay focused every step of the way. I've got to hang on and steer this thing just right. Because if I don't, we're all going to die. And we get absolutely worn out. Prayer is what removes the illusion that the steering wheel that I'm holding on to actually moves the world or moves the universe or moves the rain clouds or moves the, the, the other people that I'm around and how they see me or think about me. When I pray, when I pray that, that illusion goes away and I can let go and I can rest. See, we're not just desperate. We're desperate and we're confident. God answers. It's holding on to the wheel that really counts, not me. So I want to give us an opportunity to enter into that space of desperate confidence in just a moment. We'll finish with a time of prayer. Where have you been relying alone on your own strength or your own doing? Where have you been so preoccupied on your problem and managing that problem and thinking it through that you have not even thought of praying or taken time to pray. Let's have a moment of prayer. And what I want you to realize when you call out to God, you can know for certain he's not taking a break. He's not hard of hearing. You can know that, that God can multitask because we're all praying together. And he can hear and he can answer every one of our prayers. He doesn't say, prayer overload, don't bother me anymore. Because God is the one who has revealed himself as the one who answers. And let's pray. Almighty God, You hold my life in your hands. You hold my family in your hands. And that is the same for every person here, that you you hold their life in your hands. Along with the world and along with the universe, you keep things spinning and you bring all things to their good and proper course. And destination. Lord, as we call out, will you help us to pray in faith, not waver in our, our, our belief? Help us to know that you hear us even now. Now, whatever we bring to you in prayer, whatever worry is on our heart, that today, this morning, you indeed hear our every word, our every thought, our every worry, our every heartache. You hear and you answer. 
So now, Lord, we just want to give you just this little moment. We want to pray individually to you. I'm not going to worry about the words that we say, making it right, getting the words right. We just simply give our prayers to you. Answer us, God. Answer us. Answer us, God. And we know that you do. And we know that you are good. And we know that whatever we are facing, you are the answer. And you only give what is good to your children. So, with trust in you, we thank you for hearing us. And now we pray that you would give us the peace to let go, to let go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.